Welcome to episode 30 of Tall Poppy, where we look at leadership from a different angle. I'm your host, Tathra Strait. Today, my guest is Eddie Heron, a futurist philosopher who has recently taken up an inquiry into temporal value and helps us reimagine time. From his TEDx talk to four years at the Center for the Edge at Deloitte's, he talks about experimentation and exploration into innovation subcultures, being an innovation scout, and the emergence of Dr. Time as part of his deep dive into temporal value. He helps us develop a bit of time literacy and questions the assumptions we make about things like calendars, units of time, and challenges our relationship with time to help us see what he calls temporal clashes. From this, we may have a different vantage point for the complex problems we face in our modern, busy, and rapidly changing world. We recorded on the Easter weekend and we were outside, so you'll hear a lot of bird noise and a couple of people walk by. Enjoy. Okay, I'd like to welcome Eddie Heron to Tall Poppy. Thanks for having me. Can you describe uh, where we are? Because I don't often do in-person interviews, but here we are in the same city and we get to do this. So what's, where are we? We're in a park in Thornbury, which is in Melbourne's north side. Um, it's like a rectangular park and we're sitting under a nice green tree, sitting on a bench. So it's, uh, yeah, it's nice and quiet. Probably because it's Easter Monday. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So as a result of us being outside, we may have a bit of noise like that <laughs> um, and a little bit of ambience. So we'll, we'll just go with it and see what happens. Yep. I recently saw a TED Talk that you did about, what was it, seven years ago now? Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about that experience and what's, um, you know, some of the things that have transpired since then. Yeah. So that talk, that talk I did at the end of 2011 at TEDx Brisbane. And at that stage of my life, I was sort of exploring future of living, future of working, and I got kind of obsessed with the co-living movement, but it oh, didn't, yeah. didn't have form then. It wasn't sort of a thing. Um, and I was deeply embedded in that world. And, and I, in that talk, I was trying to communicate some of my sensing that, that I thought would emerge in the future. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, and since then, that, that was a bit of a, like a rite of passage experience for me. I can imagine. And that opened a lot of doors. Um, yeah, and, and since since then, um, I guess it's that highlighted to me that I'm a storyteller. I'm, mm. And I'm, I'm a bit of a performer on stage. So, yeah, cool. So, yeah. So, um, and uh, the other thing that I was aware of that you have done since then is um, working for the Deloitte Centre for the Age, is that right? Yep. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, so I was there for just under four years. Um, and Which is a long time these days. Which is a long time, yeah. <laughs> um, and Centre for the Edge, where oh, I'm still going, we are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, a, a research think tank that primarily looks at technology trends and across business and society and culture. And I was brought in rather spontaneously. I emailed a friend, mentor, who was running it, Pete Williams, and yep. I was coming back from San Francisco, and I said, I need a job. <laughs> in, in, the, in the header? Yeah. And he went, yes. <laughs> wow. That's how I got it. But mind you, my job interview was over like six years of, of you know, nerding out uh, on Twitter and yeah. being exposed to all the random stuff I was doing. Yeah. So, yeah, that was quite a good experience. Um, very, very interesting being in the corporate world. It really wasn't my natural habitat. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was in this interesting position where I was embedded in Deloitte, but I wasn't of it. Mm, okay. Um, 
so the kind of I think I was able to bring a lot of the outside insights mm. and ecosystem that I built on the outside and, and bring into Deloitte. And so that was, yeah, that was quite a lot of fun. So can you talk about some of the projects that you worked on and, and um, what kind of things you were able to do as a result of being... Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it, a, a portion of it was, you know, a lot of research, uh, reporting. Yeah. So I did a report about the maker movement, mm-hmm. collaborated on a report about the future of work, um... But yeah, I guess a lot of my role was less about the report writing and, and more as a scout. Ah, okay. Um, so I, yeah, I would embed myself in as many of these subcultures as I could find. Mm. So um, I'd love to hear just a couple of insights about the makers movement um, and then the future of work as well. So what what were some of the things that you noticed when you were talking to? Were you talking to makers and explaining yeah, yeah, what they were doing? Yeah. So. Um, and, and for people who might not know the term, what, what, when you say makers, what do you mean? Yeah, so the maker movement is uh, a subculture of people who, they're kind of like hardware hackers, I guess, mm-hmm. in really simple terms. There's a big event called uh, Maker Fair in San Francisco, which brings together all these hardware uh, geeks, mm-hmm. and they all come together and, like, hack things. So, you know, f- for example... A guy who made um, these uh, Internet of Things apps in his house, and it was like the most connected um, house. Like Arduino kind of. Yeah, thing? Arduino oh, and all okay, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, um, and we mainly looked at the Australian ecosystem. Um, so yeah, that was that was quite interesting. Um, again, I only dived at its surface layer. As a scout, mm. you can only go surface layer on, yeah. on so many different subcultures mm. at once. Um, so what about the future of work? What did you discover there that you thought was interesting? Um, probably like the whole, yeah, I guess the mindset thing was, was one thing. When you say mindset, what do you mean? Like like a, an orientation towards the future of work? Or? Yeah, uh, well, actually, uh, one, one thing I found was this, uh, a guy named Harold, uh, what was his last name? Anyway, he has this thing called personal knowledge mastery. Oh, yeah. I've heard you know that? that? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, um, me and the our other researcher who is who's much more deeply embedded in the future of work uh, education space um you know I, I found that quite interesting in terms of like how do you actually thrive as a knowledge worker in this day and age yeah, yeah. when a we have abundant information and abundant connection and how do you make sense of that mm-hmm. so he had interesting models of, of of like how to thrive in that so okay um I found that, and, and actually, uh, the also th- other thing too, I was really influenced by, well, three people, M- my mentor, Pete Williams, who yeah. is founder of uh, Center for the Edge Australia, and uh, John Hagel, who's a, oh, yeah. like a tech luminary, who founded Center for the Edge, and uh, John Seeley Brown, who is a kind of an education technology leader. Okay. He used to run Xerox Labs. He writes a lot about the future of learning and that kind of, yeah. Cool. Um, so, so what were some of the, um, the the future of work is something that is a bit of a theme for me and um, something that I talk about a fair bit uh, on Tall Poppy. And so, based on your work in that space, what do you think we need to be paying attention to for us to be able to face the future of work or to be able to thrive into the future? Yeah, very, very, very good question. Um, this is what's coming to mind in the moment. I don't know, maybe, maybe completely reimagining what work is, mm-hmm. which is a hard thing to grasp. Mm. 
Um, so do you mean in terms of like if there's a universal basic income? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like, okay. I mean, Adam asked me in a podcast the other day, if we are going to live longer and, you know, we're going to redefine what work is in shorter work hours, well, what the hell's work then? Yeah. You know, and Dawn really has the answers to this stuff. But, mm. you know, I, I found quite interesting. I think I'm going to reflect on my own experience at Deloitte. In some sense, I was sponsored <laughs> to mm -hmm. do my thing. Yeah, cool. And so I just like to use my example. I, I had an opportunity to contemplate shit deeply. And that contemplation isn't actually a thing that's very common in the future, you know, in workplace Absolutely. settings. But contemplation is important. It's, you know. And that's exactly one of the things that came out of um, when I was listening to the, um, the speakers in the Work Smarter Summit one with, with David Burkus was that people take time to think about things, think deeply, work yes. deeply, all yes. of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, meditation was a massive theme. Yeah. And, you know, reflection and, and, you know, doing the thinking before you actually get started on something. Yeah. And, to, and that is just so not what we do on a, so normally. No, no, no. no so, it's just like do, 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 mm. calendar full, yeah. you know, like yeah. execute, 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 which is important, mm. yes. But you need space because in, in this day and age, we all need to be having like, um, I'll say original or our deepest insights or patterns we are sensing because that's the stuff that human intuition I mean that's the stuff that AI can't replace yeah you know and yeah and that's exactly it I, I, I feel like we need to di really differentiate ourselves from what machines can do because I think it was Josh Spodek I was talking to we were talking about how you know 100 years ago having your ability to to generate physical labor yeah. was what was valued yeah. And and then it became um, information, like knowing things. And now it's like, well, yes, that's going to be part of it. But I think there's also um, we are at risk of thinking through problems isn't necessarily the thing that that we are going to be best at. So what is it that we're going to be best at? It's a, it's something to. Well, I think we're going to be best at is like what are the deepest, most nuanced questions we can ask? We're going to have answers everywhere, mm. but the questions frame what answers uh, you can find. So nice. how are we answering? Like more and more questions as things change and changes change. change. Mm. It just suddenly occurred to me, uh, just a wee back to your future of work question. I was part of, um, interviewed part of this book called The Neo Generalists. Ah, oh, I've been hearing yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, the idea that this whole specialization thing, mm -hmm. while still very important in many professions, in this new emerging knowledge work, it's like this neo generalist, this generalist who also has specialties, specialities, sorry. Mm -hmm like will form and it's all about kind of how do we help workers find their like particular weaving of ah, different things and okay. then how do we like have support structures that allow that kind of unique profession or unique thing that we have mm. how do we integrate that into work like for me I can't apply for a fucking job <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time you what you have to offer yeah. is is incredibly valuable yeah. and I love the exploration into the you know what um, Matt was talking about a couple of episodes ago around um, temporal value and um, he mentioned you as sort of taking that and it really exploring it and I've seen a fair bit of that on on your social media feeds as well so can we dive into that yeah a yeah bit? yeah it's great saying so, so yeah. tell me about um Dr. Time and where that came from yeah so um as context so last since September 2014 I have been exploring time and in particularly how time and its role within humans society and culture and that's been the a fascination that's 
cap, you know, captivate. And that came about, speaking about contemplation, I was part of this online sort of tribe called Wisdom Hackers. And, oh, wow. and, and the essential idea was, it was like 14 of us, and everyone was tasked with looking at a question that, you know, just to inquire for the sake of inquiry. And I really, without thinking about it, decided to explore what is time. And that's sort of captivated me ever since um and so like i'm deeply embedded in this almost kind of this evolving body of work and pattern making around time for, for like now 20 22 months mm. um and I'm, I'm deeply committed to working on this for the next 10 years so awesome you know as someone who is existentially confused in a crisis trying to find my one thing it feels good to find that mm. one thing. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I'm the kind of person, like I was saying earlier, who I, I don't, I, I kind of get bored easily and I, I like to have, you know, new things to stimulate me and stuff. And, and yeah, this podcast has been the thing that sort of anchored me, but I often have the, you know, the new shiny thing sort of out of the corner of my eye going, oh, what about this? Yeah, and what about this? Yeah, this? And there's yeah. just, I mean, there's so many things to be excited about these days. Like there was some, yeah, previous episode there was advice saying, you know, pick the one thing and focus on that. And I'm like, I just can't imagine doing that. Yeah, yeah. You know, even when I think about the future of work, there isn't really one aspect of that that yeah. I'm interested in. I'm interested in AI and, um, you know, 3D printing and drones and, you know, health in the long term, like, you know, what it's going to be like when we can live to 120. And, yeah. and what does that mean for relationships? What does that mean for work? What does that mean for, you know, reproduction? It's the, I, yeah. To me, it's just endless and fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, to, to focus on one thing is, is a challenge. So, well, what, what, one of the things, and, and I'll come back to Dr. Time in a second. Yeah, cool. What is Dr. Time? I have found myself talking with a bunch of people, and we've called it like those who redefine fundamentals. Mm. And what I mean by that, time is a fundamental. Yeah. That is always going to exist. A friend of mine, Brian Cole, is looking at the future of sex. Oh, yeah. And sex is a fundamental that's always going to exist. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I recently went for a walk with a lady named Ruby, and she runs a thing called um, Dinner Deaths. Oh, wow. And she gets a bunch of people and they talk about death. Wow. Now, death is like a fundamental. Yeah. That's always going to yeah. exist. And yeah, we're I've heard of Death Cafe, but death. I haven't heard of yeah. Dinner Death. Yeah. This is something you're going to reimagine. And mm. I remember reading um, somewhere about Elon Musk and they asked him, how do you innovate like that? And he said something, he was talking about like first principles. And I can't remember the details of what he said, but it was essentially that. Like I look at movement. And I redefine things from there. And mm. transportation is one aspect of movement. Yeah, right. So that's how, like, I've, you know, found the one thing. Like, what's the one pattern mm. that is timeless but that will continually evolve? Mm. And now that that's the one thing, everything has kind of come together. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So um, was it last year in Sydney that Dr. Time emerged for... No. It was before that? No, it was way, yeah. it's way before that. It's just been a slow kind of leaving the nest, so okay. to speak. Yeah. Um, so that happened in 2014. So um, when, this, when I kicked off this Time Inquiry, um, a bunch of futurist friends of mine, uh, a lady by the name Christine Alford, um, we just organized a time travel symposium oh fun so it's just a bunch of futurist nerds geeking out on time it was like a really small event and um i was inspired by uh, uh, two people one a uh, lady named alexa k who has this thing called she had an alter ego called amish futurist hmm. she just dressed and she'd walk around new york kind of and she'd use her alter ego as a as a tool to help people think about the dark side of digital. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And then I have another friend who's had this alter ego for a lot longer, Dr. Froth. 
guy named Andrew Stoddard. Now he's a, a bubble mu- a magician, I guess, oh, yeah. and he like he's been at it for twenty years, so really knows stuff about bubbles. But behind that, he has like his own mega theory called bubbleosophy. Oh, I think yeah? I've heard about and it. And he yeah. looks at like how bubbles are, you know, are the fundamental pa- pa- pattern of the universe. And oh, is it the sort of sacred geometry stuff as well? Sort of, yeah. yeah like okay. I, I don't understand all the layers of his thinking, mm-hmm. but you know, he's like his. His one thing, and then uh, yeah. the bubble magician is. So I was inspired by that alter ego thing, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, why not? I'll just make an alter ego. So that's how it started. It, again, it was just very spontaneous, and I thought, okay, I just wear a white wig, and that ended up becoming like this vessel in 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 how I talk about time. Um, mainly, I think, and I, you know, I only realized this in retrospect. I just sort of just do things, and then went, oh, okay, that was what I was doing. Yeah, um, but. You know, the alter ego was sort of a a vessel to help create a safe space for people to inquire into time. Okay. I guess the other layer was also was thinking a lot about like digital identity and avatars and how you can make up another identity. Mm-hmm. And, and and now it's this weird thing where like Doctor Time has become this like second personality I have, especially digitally. And everyone just calls me Doctor Time. Oh yeah, it <laughs> started. So, hey? Yeah, even like David Redhill is the yeah. Uh, CMO of Deloitte is just like, hey, Dr. Time. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's fine with me. Oh, that's um, fun. So that's, that's been quite quite fun. And one of the things that uh, talk about future of careers, I've got this idea of the David Bowieization of my life. Oh, yeah. So for the rest of my life, I'll have different avatars. Oh, yeah. To yeah. represent different. So I'm going to stick with Dr. Time for 10 years. Yeah. But hey, maybe. In 10 years, I'll want to explore something else. Yeah. And I'll just make another avatar and, like, I can do that. I can just go online. Da, da, da. I don't even have to dress up that much, mm-hmm. you know, as, but I'll just make an online identity. So by the time I'm 60, you know, I'll have five oh, or six. Yeah. Of it. And wow. why, why I think that's interesting, look, David Bowie, Prince, these guys represented the rawest, richest creativity like that allowed them to completely shift boundaries mm. you know they just reinvented everything mm. you know they they blurred genders and like yeah. right mm. and so i was inspired by like wow these alter egos it's, it could be a tool to hack your psyche to just express like one of yeah. the things with dr time i just say things i don't even have to understand what the hell i'm saying Mm. You know, I just like let it come out. Let it come out. Yeah. But when you have your normal yeah. ego, like it's like, oh, I gotta understand what I'm saying. But that's overrated. Mm. Just say stuff and wow. make sense of it later. Because intuition isn't. It's not some clear cut thing. It just. It, I mean, I, th- I think language in the mouth is such a primitive technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because I've had a couple of guests talk about their future selves. Like one of them was talking about, you know, if I can relate to who I am a year from now and be that then you know that will advance my personal development for example and then another one was uh, talking about um, a choice that she had made in her life and thinking you know in terms of the rationale for doing it she's like my 80 year old self you know kind of knows I need to do this and and that kind of had me thinking oh I wonder what my 80 year old self is you know and, and and especially thinking about the future of work the future of you know life on on earth what my 80-year-old self might have to say about that. And so as I hear you talking about this, I'm like, hmm, starting to cook up some ideas. Well, I I had this thought, and I haven't, like, deeply embedded into this quarry, but, you know, the the playful idea is, like, why do I have to wait till I'm 60 to be 60? Like, I could just 
prototype that shit now. <laughs> you know, through this character. Yeah. So I don't know if, if yeah, who knows? I don't, I don't know if I'm acting like my 60 year old self, Doctor Time. But it, you know, it, it, well, it, even just in moments, like you know, I'm accessing my 60 year old self now, such that I'm, you know, making a choice for my health or something, you yeah. know, whatever it is. You know, I guess sorry. The other thing, the the other reason I did Doctor, and this relates to future of work, is. At Deloitte, I had to be the futurist guy. Yeah. You know, tech trends guy. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, really what was exciting me was this whole philosophy. Mm-hmm. I'm like more of a philosophical futurist than like a tech trends futurist. And so, like, I had that avenue to do that weird stuff with that affecting my Deloitte stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, they merged ultimately. But at the beginning, I needed to do that separation mm. because I became the innovation scout guy hmm. um, cool yeah and and one of the things I've, I've described as my transition was I did tech futures but now I'm more interested in like human futures mm. and I use time to explore human futures so you've posted a lot of really fascinating stuff about time and uh, different calendars and different ways that have related to time in different parts of the world and different times in history. So what are some of the, the things that have really stood out for you that really either blew your mind or just had you go, wow, this is stuff that I really need to explore more? Yeah. Um, there's so many infinite things. I, I, I'll, I'll start off by saying I've discovered there's so many unspoken assumptions mm-hmm. we have about time yeah. and how deeply embedded they are that we don't even question them. So, um, yeah, there's so many unspoken assumptions about time. And the more and more I research into time, the more and more I discover these assumptions. So I'll, I'll start with a few things. One, the judo-Christian calendar structure. Now, I define a calendar now very functionally. A calendar is a system that holds a particular form of time. Mm-hmm. You know, we have lots of different calendars. You know, you have, if you actually, if you Google calendars on Wikipedia, there's like kind of, you know, hundreds mm. of calendars. But the Judeo-Christian calendar has become the predominant calendar in our world mm-hmm. today. Now, that calendar is kind of like a synchronization technology for the world. But the more and more you look at it, the more, like, for example, the names, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, uh, I think December actually means 10, as in decimal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it's 12. Yeah. And, like, um, uh, July was Julius. Yeah. And August... Uh, August, Augustus, was, I think it was his brother, and mm-hmm. he wanted a month too. Yeah. So they just made a month. <laughs> when I was reading that stuff, I just thought, wow, this stuff is so... It's it's not even that it's random. Sorry, that's a um, rainbow Laura keeps screeching away. Um, it's not even that it's like... Like, it felt like a bit of a pissing contest. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It, there was almost a randomness to it. It that, was, yeah. You know, it's yeah. just, it was, seemed really bizarre that yeah. this is the calendar that we are using today yeah. that... You know, if you look at other calendars, they seem far more structured and yeah. make more sense. And well, just based well, on what and a calendar is like a holder of how we engage with reality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, like, when you can unpeel the calendar, you know, it's like, come on, we all know this. It is not 2017, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, it originated because St. Augustine was like, okay, I, I he made a marker that was like, okay, Jesus was born in zero yeah you know and we before think. we think <laughs> yeah. we think we don't even know you know it's before christ and 
after Christ. Yeah. And that structure has, like, so if you think about it, it isn't actually 2017. It isn't actually April. These mm. are constructs. Mm. I'm not, I'm not uh, dismissing them. They're very useful constructs, but they're constructs. Yeah. And I often think one of the, I talk of like temporal clashing. Mm -hmm. So the calendar is a linear construct, yeah. right? It says that 1955 is over there yeah. and 2015 is in the middle mm. and then 2025 is over there. Yeah, okay. But in nature, nature is cyclical, you know, mm -hmm. day, night, it's just in cycles. So our culture, society sometimes exists in linearity, mm -hmm. but nature and rhythms exist in cycles. And so it's like trying to integrate those two things sometimes leads to, to chaos. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's like one assumption to think about. And even when you think about the clock too, right? Like things like the hour, you know, that came in the 14th century, hmm. you know, as, as like that, that's a product of Western civilization. You know, we didn't have in some um, Anglo-Saxon cultures, they didn't have like five, six, seven. It was just um, uh, sun tide, mid tide, night tide. Oh, wow. Like they only had mm -hmm. three sort of spaces. Mm -hmm. um, another interesting one, and I've and I actually been using this example, and people seem to like find it fascinating, but if you think where past, present, and future is on your body, like where, where does it feel like to you? Hmm. Well, I think of the past as behind me physically, like in my, my back. Yep. And for forward, like in front of me, in my I guess suppose my chest is future. Okay, so that's that's the answer that I was looking for. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Because um, so, I know that there's also like a something about um, right and left as yeah, well. But yeah. anyway. Okay, go, so go these are deeply embedded like schemas mm -hmm. that are d like that is also a construct. So in some uh, there's a culture in Madagascar um, where I, th I think it's a tribe, but but they see the past as in front of them oh, because they can only see the past, oh, which makes freaking yeah, sense. Yeah. And you can't see the future, so it's behind you. Oh, wow. Duh, wow. right? You know? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I love and it. some cultures, like, the past is underneath you. Mm. you know, you're walking on the past, and the future is, like, above you. Or you look at huh. indigenous cultures, right? And when, when we, like, we hear about this dream time thing, but we can't really understand it. And f from my tiny bit of research my own sense making is like I think dream time is not past, present and future it is like above us and mm. it's a realm that is exists all around us maybe it's sort of like a collective unconscious sort of mm. thing so you know what I'm finding is that we have so many different relationships with past, present and future um, in the time psychology space a guy named Philip Zamartino he's sort of like the godfather but one of his famous books the time time paradox and he talks about humans and cultures will tend to have a bias towards like a past present or future so like let's say western individualistic cultures take your guess it's very future orientated right yeah, okay. goals progress uh, yeah, next yeah. Yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah and some cultures it's like there's reverence for the past hmm. you know so in japanese I mean, they, they, they kind of swim in both, but uh, in Japanese they have a term, natsukashi, which means nostalgic. Mm. Um, and we have the term nostalgic too, but they use it in more of a colloquial way. Okay. So, like, they're always going, ah, natsukashi, natsukashi. Now, if you're of that realm of thinking that language affects your perception mm -hmm. of time and stuff, which is one linguistic theory, yeah. um, 
like does that does that make you more mindful of the past mm. you know or, or there's actually research suggests too the closer you are to the equator the more present focused you are really because there's like the, there's lack of difference in seasons oh okay yeah. that makes sense yeah. Wow. yeah wow so that's why like they go manana manana uh, you know yeah kind of we'll do it later tomorrow yeah yeah well <laughs> but like it's all today present so like mm. different cultures depending on where you are in the, the earth have different time perception and that's that's a combination of nature and culture and a whole bunch of different things so given our experience of time at the moment seems very compressed very uh, intense and um, I'll, I'll say stress inducing yeah, yeah. I love how what you're doing kind of shakes that up a little bit and it kind of has us go oh maybe we don't have to relate to it this way so so what are what are you seeing there in terms of how the inquiry that you're pursuing with this time space temporal value what does that mean for us today hmm. and how does it inform a healthier relationship yeah with time? so that you know that's that's the main inquiry you know i think one of the things we see in our world is this underlying time poverty i yeah. have no time you yeah. know gotta spend my i'm wasting my time mm-hmm. and that comes because we've unitized time mm. you know and, and it has this I, i'm gonna go back to the linearity thing right it's blocks it's months it's uh, dates yes yeah you know we, we've kind of structurified is that a word i don't know let's make it let's work. make it work <laughs> <laughs> um time and um so how can, well I guess my question is how can we learn from what you're doing to be able to improve our relationship yes with time? so um, I'd say what, what I'm doing right now is um, uncovering the assumptions the hidden like clashing or the the tension that explains some aspects of you know what's happening today even let, let's go macro for a second I think uh, you know, one of the reasons why we're probably having this climate crisis, right, I think, from a temporal perspective, is because there's two calendar clashing, right? There's the deep time calendar, which, ex- you know, nature exists in epochs, right? Right, right? yeah, that makes but sense. But the human calendar, right, mm. exists in years, right, and political cycles even less. Even yeah. less, right? Or, yeah, it certainly doesn't think in the long term and, yeah. and the effects of making the decisions for right. today on Exactly, tomorrow. and yeah. countries, like, culture changes over, like, decades slowly. So if you, there's, like, all these temporal clashes. No wonder we can, can't hear each other. Mm. So, like, I, one of the cries I have is, like, okay, we talk about social and environmental challenges. You know, what are temporal challenges? Mm. What, are, what are big-ass temporal challenges? And... You know, there's many ways to look at, like, complex problems. There's no one right way. But but my sort of offer is going, okay, let's just entertain the thought that a temporal perspective could help us understand the, the problems and then maybe devise interesting solutions. Mm. So I, I just see this, like, temporality of things um, that, like, streams itself across so many different things. Mm. And what how in developing conversations like this and time literacy which is actually you know what futurists do and there's i've just happened to put the patterns together i think but um yeah how can we develop time literacy on a whole bunch of different levels so we can have more sophisticated because we you know we exist in the space-time continuum and you know even in innovation we talk about innovation space (laughs) you know it's like and we do innovation time but we could talk about it more clearly if, say, organizations decided that they wanted to inquire into their 
perhaps whether it was temporal literacy or just how they relate to time, um, what advice would you have for them? Um, I, I, could, I haven't done this yet, but it would be interesting to do like a time audit mm. of an organization yeah. on all levels like mm-hmm. and really uncover those hidden time assumptions, both like organizationally, within the business leaders, within the employees, so you could get an x-ray of the temporality mm-hmm. um, and then see what like experiments and tweaks you could do because like if if the purpose is to create meaning for your workers or, or, or make healthy humans or whatever, like how can we create more effective time structures? So for example, if we let's look at chronobiology and like we know we have biological clocks. Yeah. And everyone there's a in chronobiology they talk about uh, there's a researcher who talks about chronotypes. Oh. And the idea is that everyone has a unique body clock. So when oh, we, wow. we talk about some people are night owls, yeah. some people are morning people. Yeah. Like it's actually you know, we all have a different temporality to mm. us. And so what would a workplace look like where oh. we where we worked around that? Yeah, you know? right. Huh. Like I am more of a night owl, so mm-hmm. I work better. Or, you know, between 10 to 12, my energy level is going to be a bit low. Mm. You know, or like, and even things like sleep, yeah. lack of sleep in our world today. That's yeah. a temporal problem. Mm. So, yeah, you know, sure. right? So what... And this is the thing. What this is the question of what would work look like beyond the units, mm. and more into the actual temporal textures yeah. that exist. So I guess the other thing I'm thinking about is, um, in terms of people being able to access the work that you're doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, social media is one way to do that. How, where are you at with being able to, you know, do talks on this kind of thing? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm at this like the next sort of entering the next stage so right. to speak right so I've, I've got you know this body of work mm-hmm. which i've sort of placed holder temporal labs oh, so, yeah. so that's the research mm-hmm. that's the community building and that's the education and advocacy and i've done that with partnered with an you know huddle design yep. um i've got this really interesting community of researchers and the people i'm talking to and like then there's the education sort of part that I'm stepping into, oh, so great. more of the talks yeah. and yeah. that kind of thing. One of the things I'm trying to work out right now is what's my single, you know, because I see all the albums, oh, you know, but I'm trying to like yes, get the single yes. and the talk <laughs> that I'll say over and over again. Yeah, so yeah. that's, and then the other thing is uh, I, I've finished up at Center for the Edge. Mm-hmm. And so my background is like in innovation research, but I want to do time research. Yeah. And so I'm trying to figure out like where's a home I could co design it with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, and uh, I mean, I, I have my tech future stuff and mm-hmm. social media strategy and like, and that's, that's, I can do that, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I feel this need, no, no, it's not I, I see the need for yeah. this kind of conversation. So what are some of the problems that you think could be solved by exploring this stuff? Other than like, I mean, I've heard you talk about sleep and, and like work, the structure of work and that kind of thing. Um, but what are some organizations that are dealing with a particular issue now that if they were to engage in this exploration with you that they might be able to improve or... Well, I think maybe um, I did a talk at a conference called Purpose. Mm. It's a social change conference in the city and, and one, of their, one of their main themes was time but they were looking at this idea of cathedral thinking. Ah, yeah. Yeah, and cathedral thinking it's just, you know, it's, it's one of these concepts. Is that, that like the Richard Hames kind of stuff? Uh, kind of. But, but... Cathedral and cafe? Uh, no, no, no. it was oh, just okay. a, it's a metaphor concept that, that was evangelized uh, by a guy named, 
uh, his name doesn't come to me, but he was ex CEO of Tourism Victoria. Oh, okay. Um, and the idea of cathedral thinking is like we need to make things and think long, long term. Uh, you okay. know, oh, kind Do of it. like Gaudi's cathedral being built over beyond his exactly, lifetime. exactly, okay, that, gotcha. exactly that. Okay, and gotcha. so you know, it's essentially thinking long, and mm. that ended up being a theme. And so I did a bit of a hosted a. Um, uh, conversation around that kind of stuff. And was that Dr. Time or was it? No, that was Eddie. Oh, so okay. I did the Dr. Time performance. I opened the conference, oh, okay. which was like so ridiculous and funny. I was like, with uh, all the, the, was it the smoke? Yeah, white, yeah. Like Sally, ice. you know, the founder of Wild One who ran oh, Purpose. Yeah. She was like, Eddie, do you want to, are you sure? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just winging it. Anyway, it ended up being cool. But uh, yeah, back to cathedral thinking. So yeah, what I find it interesting about that is, really thinking like how do we think long mm. like really what are the structures to help us think long so the clock you know? of the long now comes clock to mind. of the long now like what is our 10,000 year plan mm. you know what impact do we want to have yeah. in a hundred years yeah. because that shapes what we do today mm. and so like I'm wondering what would happen if org structures you know had that kind of thing, mm. you know, like. A, well, and I'm thinking about the um, the stat about um, how it's very likely that 40% of the Fortune 500 companies now w will be extinct in 10 years because yeah. they can't keep up with the innovations, um, or yeah, you know, they get disrupted. And so I'm thinking of it from the perspective of like how how do organizations stick around? How do they, you know, organize themselves today such that they will be around in a hundred years or t a thousand years? Yeah, yeah. what kind of, I'm just going to call it inquiry spaces and structures can you set up so you're constantly defining what that could be? Mm. It's not like you're going to, you do it now and you get to 10 years and it's just, you'll have it all figured yeah. out. No, it's yeah. just going to be this ongoing reinvention. Yeah, so, yeah, nice. So, you know, I, I guess... I, I, my question is like, if we assume that there's lots of different levels of temporality from the tiny, we talk about like the body clock differences mm. to the big cathedral thinking, yep. how do we have, you know, and you still need to do the financial year stuff. Like there's, there's it's not like the, uh, the current temporal beats are all, you know, not relevant, mm -hmm. but it's just like, how do you give attention to all of them? Mm. And, and incorporate that into design of what you do. So I know that we could talk about that for much longer, but I'm going to ask some of my um, traditional tall poppy yep, questions. Please. So what does, tell me about um, what leadership means to you now that's different than earlier in your life. Um, great question. It's so interesting that you mentioned that because um, I had this epiphany two weeks ago where I decided, it just came to me one night of what my like purpose within this time stuff. And I, and I called, I said, Leading movements to reimagine time. Mm. I have the, the inherent leadership quality. Like I, I'm very good at like getting people excited. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just sort of defining that, owning what kind of leadership you're doing, mm. and and that being your authentic leadership, not a title or whatever, but just owning that. I I just even the last two weeks I feel myself just owning it a little bit more. Mm. And that that's my that's my role. And it was just naming what I've been already doing. But it just gives me a lot of conviction, you nice. know, that, that, yeah. that that's, that's my role in the world. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, 
So if you were talking to someone who wants to start a business or write a book or start a podcast or had an idea that they just want to get out into the world but are a bit reluctant, recognizing you know inner barriers, external barriers, all that kind of stuff, what advice would you have for them? Um, I, I just had a conversation this morning with uh, uh, a design friend. Um, she's, she looks into the uh, redefinition of sex and oh, sex yeah. tech design. Anyway, yeah. but we are talking about like just do an experiment. Mm. So the ex- just do the tiniest experiment you can possibly do. You know, you're not you don't need to make a full thing. It's just doing experiments on something you've never done before. Mm. That's the goal. Mm. You know, because we don't realize how much we are in our safety bubble. We think yeah. we are doing putting ourselves out there, but so often we're just doing the same. It's so easy to say, oh, you know, try something new. <laughs> like, no, it's that sounds very simple, but it's hard. Mm. So that's, I don't know, that's what, what I'm currently contemplating. I mean, I'm no master in that, but how can I constantly just try completely out there things so it sort of pushes my boundary of, of what's, what's possible? Mm, yeah. Beautiful. Again, there's so much more that we could talk about, but um, before we finish, is there anything else that you want to, to share, anything else that you want to let people know, or is there anything in particular you want people to think about in terms of whether it's time or, you know, the future or... Uh, okay, one thing is just maybe inviting the viewers to um, just maybe peel the layers and, you know, ask yourself, what is time? And you don't have to have an answer. You just let yourself sit with that. And I think for me, when you can kind of begin to be aware of temporality in general, it just the things will shift, mm. you know? Um, and it, it just might give you like a more... In, an interesting way to look at your life and the world around you mm. um, and the second thing is I guess more just an ask is uh, like I said I, I'm at this transition point where I'm taking it almost out of the laboratory and in, out into the world out into the world which yeah. is a bit scary for me and exciting for the rest of us yeah. who get to I mean because I have been loving just the tiny bits that I've seen yeah. has made me think of time differently yeah. and has helped me shift how I re- like I, I recognize that I've I've got an issue with time in that um, you know I, I do feel you know whether it's busy or you know compressed for time and, and I often plan weeks in advance and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but I love how following some of the things that you've been posting and just reading some of that stuff has really helped me to um, yeah, question well, and look at it differently. I'm glad. I'm, I'm mm. really glad. Mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled at yeah. the idea that this is going to come out of the lab and into the yeah. world because I think there's massive potential for us to, yeah, to do things differently. And, and we don't even know what we don't know no. about it. Yeah, and we don't know where this stuff could lead to. Exactly. But it's it's nascent. It's, it's there. And I, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I really, like I said, leading movements to help people reimagine time mm. like that is my purpose yeah and i want to do that with others because it's it's this is not mine i just stumbled across the pattern mm. um which many people have talked about and so well, one actually i'm trying to like how do i monetize this yeah. and do the advisory angle mm. and you know so if people are interested in collaborating with you or yeah. in um you know bringing this to their own workplaces or to get you to come and talk what's, yes. the, what's the best way to get in touch with you uh just just uh i don't know email me eddie heron at gmail uh get me on twitter or yeah. just Google Dr. Time. I yeah, think I'm perfect. one of the first ones. <laughs> yeah! Right. I think so. I need to double check that. That's awesome. But I've got to... I've got to... 
maybe I have to do a bit of SEO and get that number one. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. It's, it's funny when you have an alter ego. Yeah. You just you could just hack the DR because like DR oh. has this cred. Ah, oh, yeah, well, yeah. hey. And I just, and we, everyone knows it's not a proper DR, but, yeah, but it's just fun to go like, I mean, fuck I, you, <laughs> DR. I kind of feel like it's an, you're almost like, it's, you're an honorary doctor. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, maybe in 10 years, maybe I'll have a doctorate one yeah, day. Yeah, well, yeah. And who knows what education will look like by then? Who knows? <laughs> we have no idea. Yeah. So, anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks for joining us from On Top Hopper today. Yeah, all right, thank you. Bye. Can you imagine having the opportunity to explore emerging subcultures from an innovation perspective as your job? Pretty cool, right? Inquiring into the maker movement, hackers, the future of sex, the internet of things. And as he said, he had an opportunity to contemplate this shit deeply. So it's no surprise that he'd move on to the big questions like, what is time? And most futurists are pretty tech-focused, so it was really refreshing to wax philosophical into the temporal lab with Eddie. I'm really excited for what may come as he takes temporal labs into the world. So if you've got an idea for that or want your workplace to look at time differently or can see a future home for the lab and Eddie's amazing work, do reach out to him. All his links are in the show notes. I loved his Bowie-tization of his career instead of a single identity, giving ourselves permission to explore a range of different personas over our lifetime. And he says by the time he's 60, he may have like five different ones. And I love the idea of not having to wait until you're 60 to be 60. (laughs) It gives us access to our future selves in a different way. And as he says, we don't have to understand what we're saying in these personas. That stuff comes later allowing our intuition to access collective intelligence and see what comes out of our mouths. It's getting me closer to having that chat with my 80-year-old self. How about you? What are the big questions you're contemplating now? What does time mean to you? What's your relationship with time like? What's your 10,000-year plan? Do we need to slow down to keep up with the rapidly changing times we're living in? Where do you see what Eddie calls temporal clashes in life or work or in our world? And how can we challenge these assumptions like time poverty and sleep? Man, don't even get me started on that one. I feel like this is the tip of the iceberg with time literacy, and I really recommend following Eddie or Dr. Time on Twitter and Instagram. It's always fascinating stuff. And you can be part of the movement to reimagine time. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And yeah, I've had a bit of a focus on the future the last few episodes because it's something that I'm really interested in, given my conversation with Gus in episode 27 that really sparked the idea of technology in service of humanity. And it came into form more in the conversation with Charles Bird in episode 24, although that's a bit of a time warp. Yeah, they were recorded at different times. Anyways, but yeah, this is just me. Is it interesting to you? As I mentioned in the last episode, I'm taking a break over June, so there won't be any new episodes until July, and I'm considering changing the frequency to make it more manageable. And when I come back, I want the podcasts to be more based on what you want to hear, what's valuable to you. I'd really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and do the listener survey. There's a link in the show notes. And if, if you want me to send it to you directly, email poppy at tathrastreet.com. And you can connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and send me a note to say that you're a tall poppy listener. My name is spelt T-A-T. 
H-R-A, and the surname is Street, like road, S-T-R-E-E-T. So thanks for listening and being part of the Tall Poppy Tribe, where we ask the big questions, challenge the status quo, and look at our leadership differently, regardless of our role in work, business, and life. See you again in July. Bye.